Uh, thanks for that reading. Uh, let me pray as we jump into God's Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we need what you provide, and we ask that you provide it today. Feed us uh, through faith by your Word. Uh, we, I pray that you might help me to speak clearly, uh, to be an encouragement. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Well, here, here at Darabin, you've been doing a series on uh, the meals with Jesus. You know about that more than I do because I haven't been here. Um, how Jesus integrates these meals and hospitality with his teaching. And we're continuing that series today uh, with what I've found to be an encouraging passage. I hope you too find it encouraging. Uh, today's passage again is about food, which is fantastic because I love food. Uh, I love a good meal. If it's Aussie, Egyptian, Italian, Indian, Chinese, I always look forward to a good meal. Uh, whether it's one of my favourites cooked by my wife uh, or a new favourite like Iranian barbecue, uh, if you can get yourself invited to an Iranian barbecue, do yourself a favour and, and go. It, it's yum. But I wanted to, uh, to just briefly mention two reasons why we might look forward to a, to a good meal. Uh, one of those reasons might be the quality of the food, when you're hungry and you want to be satisfied. I remember going to the Hellenic Republic, uh, which is owned by George Columbaris of MasterChef fame. Uh, it was for my sister's birthday. We knew it was good Greek food and it would fill you up. Uh, my wife Tanya was excited to see what specialties they would serve because she's into watching those shows. Uh, I was excited about the kebab meat. We were looking forward to it. When we arrived, we could smell the lamb, our spit going down the side of the street, and it did not disappoint. We did not leave hungry. Uh, we were well satisfied. It was good food, great lamb, Saganaki the works. Uh, it was a meal we were looking forward to, uh, sharing and celebrating with the family as well. But that's, that there's another reason why you might look forward to a good meal, uh, and it might be the celebration that that meal represents. Uh, another meal that I remember looking forward to uh, that wasn't because of the good food was our wedding reception. Uh, celebrating, surrounded by friends, family, all the people that we loved. It didn't really matter what we ate. Uh, it was more the people and what the meal represented that was important. Uh, we had been waiting for so long, but now we could relax and party. Uh, in one sense, looking forward to that meal, looking forward to what it represented, helped us to push through the planning, the lead-up, the seating arrangements, the family dramas, all leading up to the wedding. Uh, it was the hope of something better to look forward to that was driving us through that time. Uh, that was a long time ago now. It was about 15 years. Uh, I still remember it. But many times through our lives, we're driven by hope for the future. That could be finishing school and going to uni, or going to uni, thinking about the job that we're going to get, or thinking about the next job that we're going to get. Uh, perhaps it's getting married or having children. Or the hope of going on a holiday. The daily grind gets a bit dreary and hard without hope. And I want to suggest that the Christian life is actually a life that's driven by hope. If you remember, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians speaks of faith, love and hope. The greatest, of course, is love. We as Christians speak a lot about faith. And today we get to think a bit about hope. What is it that we look forward to that, that drives us? This meal that we've uh, read about here 
combines this fulfilling of desires, a fulfilment of hope, but also gives us a hope to look forward to. This meal, it's a, it's a famous banquet, and it's about hope. It might be a familiar story, Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Uh, it certainly gets into every kid's Bible that I know about. Uh, it's famous because it's a memorable story, but it's also a meal and a story that's loaded with significance. You see, this is one of the few episodes that's recorded in all four Gospels. Here in Luke, it appears at a crucial stage of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to have a look together at the significance. Why is it so significant that it would appear in all four Gospels at a significant part uh, of the Gospel? And how might this meal hold out uh, hope for us as well as fulfilling a hope? So I've got uh, three related things. Uh, You might see the outline. A meal that fulfills curiosity, a meal that fulfills prophecy, uh, and a meal that fulfills need. They're all related. They're kind of separate points. I'm just going to turn on my clicker and hope that this works. There we go. So what's the significance of this meal? First we'll see that this meal is a meal that fulfills curiosity. To understand the significance of this meal, we need to look at uh, kind of the context that it comes in. And the first clue in understanding is this curiosity about Jesus' identity in the context. Uh, This miracle, this meal, comes about halfway through Luke's Gospel. Jesus has been travelling around Galilee, preaching and performing miracles, and arousing interest into uh, who he could be. Just before the miracle happens, in verses 7 to 9, we see confusion summarised with Herod. So Herod's heard about what's going on, and he's perplexed. What are the crowds saying? The crowds are saying John the Baptist might have been raised from the dead. Others, Elijah. Others, uh, one of the prophets. And Herod's like, who is this guy? And he tries to see him. The crowd's confused. Who is Jesus? And have a look at the names they put forward. Elijah, one of the prophets. Now you might be thinking, alone, what's this got to do with the feeding of the 5,000? It's a bit, bit abstract. Except if you look at what happens straight after the miracle in verses 18 to 20, there's more curiosity. You see, Jesus asks his disciples in private, what does he ask? Who do the crowds say that I am? And look at the responses. They're the same. The crowds say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others some of the prophets. Interesting, isn't it? We started with Herod asking the question, and now Jesus is asking that same question of the disciples. And it's significant that these two questions surround the account of the feeding of the 5,000. It gives us a big clue to the purpose of the miracle. You see, Jesus doesn't doesn't do miracles just to show off for no reason. The miracle is intentional. The miracle is going to show show the answer, to somehow answer the question of Jesus' identity. Uh, After the miracle, the curiosity into Jesus' identity is answered by Peter. Jesus asks them, who do the crowd say that I am? Now Jesus directs at Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, verse 20, God's Messiah. Peter gets it right. A short detour. What does he mean when he says 
God's Messiah, or your tra- uh, other translations might say God's Christ. Uh, the words Messiah and Christ are the same word. One's Greek, one's Hebrew. They both mean the same thing, and that just means anointed. Uh, Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's his title, Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. In Jewish history, uh, those who are anointed with oil are those who are chosen by God, usually prophets or kings. Uh, And through the prophets, God has promised a special anointed one, a special king, the Messiah. Someone who would free the Israelites from the rule of foreign nations and bring them back into God's blessing. When Peter says God's Messiah, he is recognising Jesus as the special king, the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one of God. And it's the meal that has, uh, with Jesus that's tipped him over the edge. You see, Jesus has used the meal as an opportunity to reveal his identity to his followers. Now, the context of the passage gives us a few more clues uh, to what Jesus is doing. You see, uh, the disciples have just got back from what you'd call maybe a short-term mission trip. Um, They've been sent out to teach people about the kingdom of God. So chapter 9, verse 2, they're sent out to teach about the kingdom of God. And in chapter 9, verse 6, they're to preach the gospel. And I want to suggest there that those two terms are synonymous. They're the same thing. Preaching the gospel and teaching about the kingdom of God is the same thing. When the disciples get back, the crowds follow the disciples, even though they're trying to get away. But Jesus welcomes them. And have a look, chapter 9, verse 11. Jesus sits them down. What does he teach them about? He teaches them about the kingdom of God. Jesus' priority in teaching, his priority for the crowds, his priority for the disciples, is to teach about the kingdom of God, the gospel. The healing and the feeding, it's all pointing towards the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to teach them something greater about the kingdom of God. What does he want to teach them? He wants to teach them something greater has occurred because the kingdom of God is here. Because God's king, God's Messiah is here. Jesus is here. Jesus' identity as the Messiah is tied in to the coming of God's king, God's kingdom. That's important because Jesus wants to teach both about what he is like as the Messiah and we're going to see a glimpse of what the kingdom of uh, what God's kingdom is like as well. And we're going to have a look at that in a second. Uh, but I just wanted to point out to here that as Christians, our priorities should be the same as Jesus. Jesus sees the crowds. He loves them. He provides for their needs. But he knows that their greatest need is to enter God's kingdom. The crowd and his disciples need to know him. Trust him as Jesus the Christ, Jesus, God's Messiah, Jesus, God's King. If you're a Christian, that should be your priority too. Jesus sets that example by teaching with words and by providing as well, by showing hospitality. He shares a meal that reveals his identity. You might meet people that are curious about Jesus' identity. There's a lot of confusion about that these days. Uh, I hope you are meeting them. I hope you're speaking to them, uh, befriending them, having a meal with them, both speaking about 
and showing who Jesus is. Okay, so first point. The miracle is primarily about Jesus revealing his identity as the Messiah. But hang on, how? How did Jesus reveal his identity as Messiah through a meal? And what does that have to do with hope? Well, the answer to that is that Jesus, in providing this meal, is enacting several echoes from the Old Testament. He's also fulfilling a prophecy from the Old Testament that the Jewish people have been hoping for. He does that by showing that he's like two great Old Testament prophets, Moses and Elijah. And he also does it by giving a taste of this messianic banquet that's to come. So I'm down to meal that fulfills prophecy if you're following along. You see, there's a connection here between Jesus and Moses, one of the most revered prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, Moses was the one, I'm sure you know, Uh, one who led Israel out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He leads them through the Red Sea from Egypt uh, into the wilderness. But as soon as they get to the wilderness, they complain because there's no food. And you know what? I might remember how they get food. God provides them food from heaven called manna. It's in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. And he says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you, the Lord says to Moses. And here Jesus is again in the wilderness with no food, and as he prays, he looks up to heaven in verse 16. In multiplying the food, he's providing for the people of Israel just like Moses did. He's showing that he's like Moses. Uh, There's a prophecy that Moses gives to the people, Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19, where Moses tells the people that God will one day raise a prophet like himself from the Israelites. So when the crowds earlier said he could be one of the prophets, this is what they've got in the back of their minds. They're thinking of this prophecy from Moses. So Jesus echoes Moses. He also echoes Elijah. Uh, Elijah was another Old Testament prophet. I'm going to condense this down a bit. So Elijah's taken to heaven in a chariot. As he he gets taken to heaven in his fiery chariot, he leaves his mantle uh, to his successor Elisha. Uh, And Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4 feeds a hundred men with 20 barley loaves. So you can kind of see that that connection there. Um, But what's interesting is eight days after the feeding of the 5,000, later in in Luke chapter 9, Jesus goes up a mountain with James, Peter and John to pray. And while there he's transfigured before them And who appears to him? Moses and Elijah. And God's voice booms down, This is my son, listen to him. Again, the event's not accidental. God is showing that Jesus is greater than these two Old Testament prophets, Moses and Elijah. So there's hints there, hints about the fulfillment of this Jewish hope that God's king has come. But there's also a glimpse here of the fulfillment of prophecy given through the prophet Isaiah when he prophesies about what the Messiah will bring. So Isaiah 25.6, I'm going to read this this through because it's a great great prophecy. Uh, So I'm reading Isaiah 25 verses 6 to 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich feast, sorry, will prepare a feast of rich food, For all peoples, 
a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he'll destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they'll say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This meal, this banquet that Isaiah prophesies about is known as the Messianic Banquet. The banquet's going to be better than anything that the chefs from MasterChef or MKR could provide. And it's connected because the coming Messiah is the one who will, will provide this promise from God. This promise to right the wrongs of the world, to bring justice and blessing, not just for his people, but for all people. But did you see there, the most important thing on this menu is death. Death will be swallowed up, finished with. With death out the way, every tear will be wiped away and this feast will go on forever. Do you want to be at that banquet? But how? How do you get to the banquet? What's the cost of being at a banquet like that? And later in Isaiah, you find out the cost. In Isaiah 55, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, eat what is good. You'll delight in the richest of fare. You see, the cost of this elaborate banquet, this eternal banquet, has been paid. It's like going to the fanciest restaurant, having an all-you-can-eat buffet, and someone else picking up the tab. And the host of this banquet is Jesus. He's the one who will swallow up death. It's by his blood, by his death, that anyone can join freely in this meal. Jesus is going to provide for our greatest need, our greatest need, someone to pay the cost for our rebellion against God pay the cost of death. Jesus will swallow that for us. In Luke chapter 9, when the disciples are wanting to send away the people, Jesus instead invites the people to stay, to share. Through his actions, he's acting out this messianic banquet. He provides a meal that when everyone has had their fill, there are more leftovers than they started with. They start with five loaves, two fish. They end up with 12 baskets of leftovers. On that day, with Jesus, these people got a taste of this eternal, perpetual meal that Isaiah prophesies about. Jesus is intentionally fulfilling this prophecy. He wants to give a glimpse of the hope that the kingdom of God offers. It's not just about food but it's a banquet that provides for the greatest needs of the people. We get to enjoy the food and the wine, yep, but pain, sorrow, death also get swallowed up. And it's good for us to think about that, isn't it? The fullness and the riches that God's kingdom offers and how Jesus acts it out with these people. It's important because while we live in a society that doesn't necessarily hunger for food, our society has its own unfulfilled desires, its yearnings, its longings, its 
It's hungry for community, intimacy, connection, purpose and joy. Many in our society feel that need. Our football clubs are asking churches for chaplains because they've worked out something's missing. As people spend more time at home disconnected from people but connected to their computers, their phones, to Netflix, they're craving something more. Have a listen to this from one of the creators of Netflix who's uh, now going into competition with Netflix. He's started up a new company that's got like a subscription for movies. Um, And this is what he says. He says, My friends at Netflix still believe in this continuing trend of cocooning, that everyone wants to watch everything on their TV or iPhone. But I think we're entering a more experiential phase. People are craving connection again. When you're in a big crowd watching a scary movie and everyone jumps, jumps at once. You see there, he spotted it. The craving for connection. I don't agree with necessarily his method of fixing it. But what the kingdom offers is satisfaction for our needs and desires. Jesus is offering a kingdom meal that offers more than just theology. He's offering a community. When we as Christians get together, when we eat together, when we share meals in our homes, we too are pointing to this heavenly meal. We're pointing to Jesus' eternal banquet. Do you think about that when you're preparing a meal? Do your meals require a shift in thinking? As God's kingdom people, do you think of your community, your meals, your hospitality as pointing forward to the great messianic banquet? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we look back to a promise that's fulfilled, God's forgiveness, his swallowing up of death. That's the cost that Jesus had to pay for us to attend the eternal messianic banquet. But this meal here in Luke, this messianic banquet meal, reminds us that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're to also look forward in hope to the day when we are eating that meal in God's fulfilled kingdom with Jesus at the head of the table. And sometimes I think we forget that hope. We forget what that meal will be like. It's a bit like going to an all-you-can-eat buffet at the Hellenic Republic and scoffing a packet of Tim Tams on the way. Our appetites and desires are lessened because the world that we live in seems to offer us everything we need here. Forget about death, it says. Forget about pain. Just live in the here and now. As people who are part of God's kingdom, we need to savour, to long for the greater hope, the great banquet of Jesus. We need to remind ourselves by both looking back at the fulfilled promises, but also looking forward to the hope. Because hope in Jesus will not disappoint. So I've cheated a bit, I've spoken a bit about how this meal fulfills need as well. But I want to talk a little bit more about another need that this meal fulfills. And that need is for Jesus to provide for us now while we wait for that eternal banquet. And we see that again in the passage. You see, Jesus here is, is training the disciples because he knows he's soon going to depart. And he's going to give them a mission, he's going to give them a task. Uh, the task is in Luke 24. Uh, that's where he tells them the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
See, Jesus' mission for his disciples will be to continue to reveal the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, to teach people about the promised hope, the great kingdom banquet. And you can see how Jesus is training them while he feeds the 5,000. See, after they've returned from this short-term mission, they're followed by the crowds, and they need to learn who Jesus is. But they also need to learn something else. They also need to learn that when Jesus asks from his disciples something impossible, that Jesus will provide for them in abundance. Now notice that when Jesus, while Jesus gives thanks and breaks the bread, his disciples do everything else. He gets the disciples to do it. He says to them, you give them something to eat. He asks them, what food do you have? He tells them, go gather the people, sit them down, distribute the bread. Go collect the leftovers. He gets them to do everything. Jesus gives them this impossible task. He sets it before them. He wants them to know it's impossible because they need to learn that Jesus will provide an abundance for their needs. When they get sent out on this global mission to preach, they will have an impossible task. Friends, as we live in gospel communities, a kingdom community, pointing to the hope of that great kingdom banquet, we, like the disciples, are to preach in Jesus' name repentance and forgiveness of sins. We're to offer a taste of the kingdom meal that's to come. But we need to know that we can't do it. It's impossible. Planning a new church, building community relationships, inviting people to dinner, sharing the good news of the kingdom to the neighbourhood, seeing a neighbourhood converted, it is impossible, just like feeding the 5,000. But Jesus says, give me what you've got. A little rented house, not much room, not much time. As Jesus' disciples go out, do the work. The tasks are you know, somewhat menial. You know, organising large groups of people into groups, dishing out and collecting food. But through the meal, he gives them something they need, a dependence and reliance on Jesus as the provider. As they are successful in preaching the gospel, and you see that throughout the book of Acts, they are to remember that it is Jesus who provides. They are not the Messiah. We are not the Messiah. We're not saving people to ourselves. It's not our meal that we're sharing. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who provides. It's Jesus who provides for people's needs. It's Jesus who provides for the disciples' needs. And it's Jesus who provides for our needs. Jesus has given us this mission and he will provide with leftovers to spare because he is the one that's given us the mission. As the disciples go out into a hostile world offering hospitality, we too are to offer hospitality to this hostile world and rely on Jesus' provision to have enough. And Jesus is able and willing to provide in abundance. Uh, friends, this meal is a heavy, abundant meal. It's a meal that just keeps on going. Uh, and we've seen how the meal reveals the identity of Jesus as God's king in God's kingdom. How it fulfilled Old Testament prophecies while pointing forward to a greater hope. And we are encouraged to long for that kingdom meal 
while completing the task that Jesus has for us now, this impossible task of sharing the hope of the kingdom and relying on Jesus' provision. And a hope in Jesus, a hope in his banquet, will not disappoint. Please pray with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, help us to look to you to provide, to have the hope of that eternal banquet meal in our hearts and in our minds, uh, to be sharing the goodness that you offer. Uh, We pray that you might provide uh, to turn many people's hearts to you, that they might know you, might worship you as their king and share with us in a great meal with you in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen.